Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Dinner and a Show. I am your host, Tom, and on this podcast, as the name might suggest, we will be talking about uh, local restaurants and various films and television, and I will be having a a guest with me each week to talk about them. Uh, My first guest on my inaugural cast here is my cousin Christopher. Hello. (laughs) Uh, And... The restaurant that we went to today was Good Buddies, and the film that we saw today was the independent action superhero thriller, kind of, uh, Code 8. Um, Good Buddies is a local restaurant here that was opened up a couple years ago by uh, the owner of another local restaurant, Tully's. Tully's is famous for its tenders, and I'm sure it will also be on a future episode of the show. Um, so, Chris, had you ever even been to Good Buddies before? I have not. Uh, so what was your first impression when we walked in? Uh, actually very similar to Tully's, like very sports bar-ish. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think that's kind of their, their, their niche. I think Tully's is more of a family restaurant with like a sports bar twist on it, and Good Buddies comes off as more of just like a straight up sports bar. Kind yeah, of. I mean more, more, kind of like a pub vibe is what they're, they're going for, I guess. It's, yeah, that's true. Um... Unfortunately for me, the food there is very good, but unfortunately the they do the tenders they do there are not the Tully's tenders, or I would have been sorely tempted to go with those. Uh, we actually both went with a chicken stir-fry because we're both trying to eat healthier and get in shape, and chicken stir-fry is probably one of the healthier things we could order on that menu. Uh, what did you think of the chicken stir-fry? I thought for a healthy dish it was pretty darn good. Yeah, it was uh, reasonably priced. I think it was ten ninety nine. Uh, got a decent portion size. Uh, now you ate the scallions and the and the broccoli and stuff. That's not for me. Uh, but what do you think? It was good. Yeah, the broccoli. I mean, with the that glaze they had, it was it was actually really good. Yeah, I don't know what's in that that stir fry sauce, but I want like a bottle of it <laughs> to put on everything I eat. I think it's kind of like a vinaigrette, maybe. I don't even Something know like that. what a vinaigrette is. I am so food illiterate. I know what's tasty and what's not tasty. And my mouth told me that was tasty. Yeah, so. but well, mine did too. So, um, but yeah, the the food was the great. The service was was great. Uh, also, very nice. Uh, they were they were hopping when we got in there. That place was packed. Um, they told us like a 10, 15 minute wait. I don't even think we were there that long. Maybe like five, no, yeah. eight minutes tops. Um, the servers all seemed friendly, uh, the, the food was quick, we weren't sitting there for a terribly long time after we ordered, uh, I, I think next time we go, I want to try one of their, the two-handed sandwiches that they had there. Yeah, those look good. Um, I don't know which one I'd go with, maybe one of the daily specials, uh, another friend of mine really liked the turkey that I think was on a Wednesday question? Yeah, I looked at the specials, they didn't have... Like, it's not every day of the week, because there wasn't one for today, which was a Friday. Yes. So. That's a bummer. But, eh. Say la vie. <laughs> uh, so that was our quick thoughts on, on Good Buddies Restaurant, uh, which is uh, definitely worth checking out if you're in the Syracuse area. Uh, so now, let's transition over to the movie uh, Code 8, which is a, I guess it was actually a joint, I think it was a Canadian film. Um, starring Robbie Amel, the cousin of Stephen Amel, who was also in the movie. And really, that's kind of it for the, the big name. And I say big, like, in quotes there, because uh, Stephen Amel is, you know, he's big for his show Arrow, but 
I don't think if you said, oh, yeah, I, I, I really like Stephen Amell, I don't think unless somebody watches Arrow, they're going to go, oh, uh, who? <laughs> yeah, he's not really a household name. No. Uh, he's a good actor, though. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Robbie Amell is even, I think, less well-known. He was on The Flash for a couple episodes as half of Firestorm. I'm letting my nerd flag fly here. I'm a huge comic <laughs> guy. Um, See, I th- sorry to interrupt. No, but go for I it. I thought for a guy in Robbie Amell who I've really never heard of, I thought he had a fantastic performance in this, and it was very convincing. Yeah, I thought across the board, for the most part, the performances were great. I'll, I'll get into really the only performance I didn't think was great later when we get to that <laughs> character. Um, but the basic premise of Code 8, and spoilers, by the way, we're going to talk about the, all, the whole movie here. Uh, so if you haven't seen it and you are interested in it, it's a really good movie. Uh, it's a cool twist on the superhero genre because it's, it's a superhero movie it's got that costume dressing to it, but really it's it's almost like a crime heist thing, kind of like Departed-ish, almost. I, I would say so, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're going to get into that here, so spoilers. Um, but it is set in a world where 4% of the human population has developed superpowers, and it's, you know, across the board. you got people with super strength, shoot electricity, telekinesis, you know, the whole spectrum. And uh, initially, they uh, the city is set in the fictional Lincoln City, uh, people with powers, there's this opening montage that's pretty cool where they show, like, guys with telekinesis moving, like, steel beams and guys who can, who have fire abilities welding them together, and it's pretty cool, like, you know, they were the backbone of this country, which, uh, you know, I took as, it's a metaphor for the immigrants that really helped, you know, build America. They were the backbone of the country, the Irish, the Chinese, the Mexicans, you know, they, they came in and, and really put in work building this country up, and eventually, much like, sadly, in real life, the public turned on this group of people with powers and now their machines are replacing them you know all the unskilled laborers just done automatically and they don't need them anymore um and that, so that's kind of our our intro to the film this is my second time watching it so i i can vigorously take notes here but uh what was your initial impression of the film so far i definitely thought um it was a social commentary on you know like to me, obviously, it's 4% of the population, so they're the minority. And to me, it's not like like racism as in, you know, it's not black or white, or it's like if you have powers, uh, you know, you're most likely hated by the general yeah, population. Yeah, you treat like a second-class yeah. citizen. And I think that was definitely one of the, the big themes of this film was, was the metaphor of using people with powers as a metaphor for, you know, uh, the... Um, the black experience in America or, you know, the Mexican experience or something along those lines. Um, there, there's a couple big themes like that throughout the film. One of them is definitely the theme of race, uh, class, uh, class, uh, uh, differentiation, uh, you know, uh, the poor, um, what's his name in the film? Connor? Connor, yes. Connor. Connor. Uh, his mom's sick. He's struggling with medical bills. He's got no legitimate way to turn for income because of his powers like we even see on an application form for a job they have a checkbox for are you power enabled so there's this real sense of of prejudice and you know almost that like people are out to get you if you have powers and i i get why he eventually turns to that life of crime because he's his real options here are keep doing one-off construction jobs that maybe pay him enough to get food yeah i mean it's, it's like it's like the uh 
you know, back when immigration first happened, they, there was those Irish need not apply signs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, so they people would turn to crime uh, ultimately. And um, I mean, basically, the only jobs he could get were jobs where he needed to use his powers, uh, which was <laughs> illegal in obviously in this film. Yeah, they they this movie did a really interesting thing of they. There's clearly a fully fleshed out world here. It's I don't think it was just someone said, "Ooh, what would be cool if we did like a crime movie, but people have superpowers." Like, there's a lot of backstory that goes into it, and it clearly, I'm not sure who wrote this, or uh, maybe if Stephen Amel and Robbie Amel had stuff to do with that. But it feels like there was a lot of thought put into this. You know, they referenced you know needing a license to use powers openly, um, all these various little bureaucracy red tape things that just make it nearly impossible to live your life if you're a power-enabled person in Lincoln City. Um, and as, as we keep going down the line here, there's a lot of other cool things. But so, um, yeah, the gist of it is Connor's mother is sick. He's desperate to make money to keep uh, keep her uh, healthy. And Stephen Amel's character Garrett shows up one day at the local hotspot where powers wait for jobs and says he needs an electric to help him pull a job. Uh, another character whose name I don't think we ever even really learn warns Connor that these guys are kind of bad and that they are uh, known to be psych runners. Uh, and in this world, psych is a drug that gets mined from the spinal fluid of people with powers that produces like a crazy hallucinogenic effect. Um, and it was just another interesting thing that the film sets up to go into a, a, a deeper thing in the hopefully sequels that we're going to get eventually um so connor takes the job and it's uh garrett maddie and freddie are the three characters uh garrett is a telekinetic maddie's got pyrokinesis and freddie is uh super strong so they go to this um abandoned you're not abandoned but like a chemical facility to steal some stuff and uh this is really where we get to see our first taste of powers kind of being in action we got a brief bit of that at a construction scene but this was really cool to see like what happens when a guy with powers or a gal with powers really like gets to let loose and uh what'd you think of the the that scene like the special effects and just how it was presented i thought the special effects for like a small budget indie film were done really well uh i mean i really didn't it's definitely better than uh, like a triple A film like like uh, Justice League. I mean, the the special oh, effects were stop. were very convincing. Henry Cavill's this. mustache <laughs> was not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's not forget the uh, the aliens. <laughs> oh <movie>. yeah, <laughs> the parademons. Yeah. Yeah, I think this movie's grand total budget was two million dollars. Yeah, that's which, impressive. Yeah the the powers were really cool. the powers were obviously. They weren't on the scale of something like an X-Men or a Justice League in terms of, like, the sheer, like, ballistic level of them. They were just, they weren't just flying everywhere. Yeah, it wasn't too flashy. Yes. They were used sparingly, in a sense, but when they were used, it was really effective, and it was really cool. Well, that's what I liked about the film, was that, uh, you know, like, you could go through a full day in in this world and not know that there's powers... But you know, because so when powers are used, it it means a lot, mm-hmm. and it, it makes that scene carry so much more weight. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's no outward sign of an abil- a person having powers. It's not like X-Men where, like, Toad has this weird reptilian skin <laughs> or, you know, Sabretooth with the crazy fangs and whatever. It's just like, yeah. no, it's just people walking down the street just doing their own thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a good variety of powers, too. It wasn't just... Yeah. Um, all right, so we, we get the... They hijack a couple of barrels of this chemical, which I forget the chemical name already. It might have even been fictional. Who knows? Uh, to make the drug psych with. Uh, we get a cool little moment where Stephen Amel uses his telekinetic powers. This is when we, we first get the gist of what the, the group's abilities overall are. Yeah. Um, they bring the drugs back, or the chemicals back to uh, Marcus Sutcliffe, who is a telepath, and he's kind of like the local gangster in charge of making psych. Um, and earlier we witnessed a drug bust on one of his labs which has caused him to need all these chemicals. And I thought the drug bus scene was really cool. That's when we first get to see the robotic Guardian characters. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, again, for a really low-budget movie, I thought the designs, because the Guardians are entirely CGI, I believe, uh, the Guardian character design looked cool. It, it didn't look overly fake. It wasn't like, oh, boy, that's you know clearly a dude in a, in a green screen suit. Yeah, nothing really looked out of place in this film. Yeah. I mean, everything fits... And, like I said, everything is just believable, uh, you know, to an extent, you know, so. Yeah, I I really liked that. I think that they really wanted a grounded sense of realism here, um, because that drug bus scene, uh, I don't know if anybody watching this has ever seen the movie Sicario, but it really kind of reminded me of that, or uh, something along those lines, where it's it's this real gritty, um, frenetic, action-packed thing with a lot of gunplay, and it was really cool because I think that's what helped ground the movie. It wasn't like this big thing of like the the robots didn't have like laser guns or like crazy abilities. <laughs> it was it was very believable tech. I think this they never really say what year this movie is set in. I'm assuming like the near future yeah, it, or something. I was gonna say it sound it it looked like to me like somewhere in the near future. Yeah, and, and it's 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 cool because a dystopian near future. Well, dystopian <laughs> in the sense of. of uh, for a certain group of people, it's. Right, I mean, like, the world hasn't ended or anything. No, yeah, but um, um, you know, with the drones and every like, it just seems like everything's gotten out of hand. Yes, it's very police uh, state-ish, and it's because the drones have digital files on everybody's face. They know if you have open warrants or whatever. Um. So yeah, we get to Marcus Sutcliffe, um, and he is desperate to make a bunch of money because his drugs got stolen, and he owes a group called the Trust a ton of money. And I, I enjoy this because the trust is kind of this looming axe hanging over everybody's head. They're clearly a group that has a lot of power, but we don't know anything about them, really. I mean, so obviously they're a criminal organization, but, like, are they pro-power? Because it seems like they're dealing with a lot of people who have powers, and several members of their group even have powers. Yeah. Um, so it's, I kind of wonder if it's, like, this... this um, shadow organization for people with powers that kind of grew up out of that resentment and hatred that people feel towards them um, and I think that's again, uh, hopefully we get more of that in the sequel, that exploring this so Sutcliffe is desperate to make some some cash um, and he, we also get introduced to the character of Nia now we know Nia is clearly important Sutcliffe has got her under his her th- under his thumb she was the one performance in the movie that felt flat to me. She didn't 
like emote a lot and I just kind of didn't really get a lot from her yeah I mean I feel like part of it was just that's kind of how they wanted her to play the character because uh, I mean she's an addict and and she's just kind of not present you know a lot but uh, I know what you mean like she just even in the scenes where she was supposed to be expressive she just wasn't yeah and um, not a strong performance I can no agree and it's tough to say whether that was again yeah if it was it was a character choice she made because her character is an addict like you said um also that bears relevance here like we said this movie a lot of the cast members were not famous or not a-list guys or any stretch right. of means her or, um, the actress who played Nia doesn't even have a Wikipedia page so, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure if I went on IMDb, maybe I could find some more credits for her. Yeah, I'm sure if you dug enough. But, yeah, so clearly she's not a long way into her acting career, so maybe as time yeah. goes on, she'll improve. Well, another thing I kind of wanted to add on Nia is, um, to me, she was almost the MacGuffin of the of the film, as in, uh, like, she's this object that, that people are kind of t- tug-of-warring over. Yeah, and um, she even has a line later in the movie like nobody once people find out what I can do and we'll, we'll get to that in, in a bit that's all they care about they never care about me as a person yeah they just what I can do for them and it's yeah it's true she you, you nailed it she is kind of really the MacGuffin of the movie uh, she she's the driving force for at least two of the main characters yeah. uh, um, Sutcliffe and later Connor um, so yeah we Sutcliffe is panicking because uh, the trust basically tells him you got a week or we're gonna kill you uh, so he needs Garrett to pull another job, a bank heist. And Garrett's like, uh, that's like really short notice. I don't know if we can do this. I, I, you know, but, and then Sutcliffe basically tells him, look, we either do this or we all die. So, Suck, um, so Garrett says, fine, but I'm going to need to use the electric again because we're going to need someone to short the bank vault and sensors and yada yada. So he tells Connor, uh, they got another job for him and he can make a lot of money. And, Connor's clearly struggling with this because he doesn't want to become uh, like his father, who we find out later was killed because he held up a liquor store, and his mother has been raising him to not be like his father. And I really liked what they did with that because a lot of times when you have movies with like overbearing parents or like, oh, the mom wasn't even really mm-hmm. overbearing, but like when you have a parent who's very protective and yada yada, a lot of times they do come off as overbearing or you know controlling or whatever and the mom here clearly just loves her son and doesn't want him to be killed just for being what he is and i i it's again one of the the themes of i can see connor and his mother are both white but i can almost see like this playing out in like a fx crime drama show where it's a black mother talking to her son who doesn't want him to get mowed down just because he's doing something shady and he's black you know right it's it's very analogous to that, and I think the filmmakers. I can't I'm sure. I really should have looked up who directed and wrote this before we started <laughs> <Yeah>. recording. <laughs> um, but I think they did a really good job of not like really beating people over the head with like what they were going for here. But they they very clearly laid out the um, the struggles of certain classes and peoples we have in America here. Yeah. Um. So, uh. So. Uh, Connor ultimately decides he is going to have to do this job. Um, and we get 
this is this is weird. So they mentioned the job takes place in three days, and the first time I watched this, I could have sworn it was something like that. But we get this training slash like criminal montage, and it definitely feels like it took place in one day. The well, it the fe- training it, montage. It feels if the training montage to me felt like. Yeah, it felt like, in in a weird way, it felt like it took place in one day, but it also felt like it took way longer than a day. And <laughs> Kind of like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, because, yeah, he's in the hyperbolic time chamber. Um, but it, it's like, you get this montage of Garrett, like, trying to push Connor to use his powers in ways he hasn't before, because he's been repressing them his whole life. Right. And it's like, this weird, yeah, like almost like a time dilation, where it's like, how did you train all this much in three days? <laughs> Yet, also, yes, it also feels like it's yeah, only been like, a day, because his wardrobe doesn't change, Yeah, that's, whatever. Yeah, that's what stuck out to me, was, was the wardrobe, like, I'm like, it, I don't know, it just, to me, it's it's kind of like, you know, Luke Skywalker, you know, he spent so much time <laughs> training and building himself up, and, you know, he really worked for how powerful he got, you know? Yeah, that's, like, it's insane, because, again, like, the Dagobah scene on Star Wars, how long was Luke really there before he went off to Cloud City? I mean, I feel like it was supposed to be a while, you know? A couple days, maybe? I don't know, but who... I don't know. I'm just gonna track down Lucas and be (laughs) like, yo, dude, what happened there? (laughs) Um, um, Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, which was I also appreciated this, was in the initial heist at the chemical factory... There's the scene where they uh, they pull the van that they're in under an overpass so the drones can't see them, and they rip off the <laughs> paint because it's the, it's like uh, a, it's a sticker on basically, and it was like I'm like oh this is like so Ocean's Eleven right now, <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it, um, th- this movie had so many elements to it that I mean, like it was a you know a thriller, it was a crime movie, it was a superhero movie. Uh, but definitely, yeah, it gives off like that Ocean's Eleven vibe, and yeah, it was really cool. Um, I, I it's I, I feel like the movie was probably an hour and a half, maybe an hour forty-five. Again, it was something about specific that, yeah. I should have looked into. But it does a very good job of pacing. Never did I ever feel like let's move this along. Never, nothing ever really dragged, and they 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 spaced the action sequences just far enough apart. So we, we got a lot of character development from yeah. Connor. Uh, we learned a lot about other characters like uh, Garrett and his mom. and uh, Not Garrett's mom, Connor's mom. <laughs> uh, and all these other various side characters. Um, that yeah. it, it really felt lived in. Yeah, it felt... You know, like I was going to say with um, the beginning newsreel, you know, it really made, made it feel like a fleshed out, living, breathing world. And uh, it just feels like throughout the whole film, like you said, the pacing... They really didn't sacrifice anything. Uh, like, you know, the whole movie is just... Um, it just flows together. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just... It, it feels like they didn't comp- make any compromises. Um, like, they fleshed out every character that needed to be fleshed out, I feel like. Yeah, they, they definitely didn't want this to, I think, be... Uh, a shallow superhero movie where other than like the main character no one else really gets an arc or any backstory or you know just they're just the kind of there to move the plot along this it felt like these characters were people not just little cardboard cutouts yeah. to advance the plot um i mean or, even even the 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 good police officer i mean yes. like 
uh, played by Han from the Fast and Furious. Yeah, I mean he, I mean he, he had a good amount of screen time, but it's not like he had a whole lot. But yet you still feel like you know his intentions throughout. More and more, you know this. This is a good guy. This is. Yeah, him and his 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 partner, uh, who are the two cops trying to track down Garrett and the the superhero gang or the super powered gang here, definitely um, don't get a like they get a they're a decent amount of screen time, yeah. but it's very clear that um, Officer oh God I can't remember um, Han's name I'm yeah, just gonna call him Han from yeah Fast Han and from Fast and Furious um, he's definitely a cop who wants to do things by the book and. Uh, he he doesn't seem to have any outward prejudice against powers, and we'll later discover why. But his partner is just a right old asshole, and <laughs> at one point, flat out says, "Well, let's just plant some drugs at the guy's house, and we can arrest him." And it's like, that's yeah. that's a sad look. But I again kind of see where this is coming from. But you kind of get the feeling that he's not the only cop like that, and that oh no, most of them. Kind of seem to be dirtbags yeah. in this, in this and, world. Yeah, it's it's tough because you you want to be realistic here, and obviously not all cops are scumbags. Right. But but once unfortunately again, some are, and the ones it's that the are, social commentary yeah. coming into play on exactly how things work with classes and yeah. Um, so they do this bank job. Uh, Connor shorts out the vault. The team uh, moves into attack, and it's again another really cool scene where the powers get used, and they're done to great effect. We get to see Garrett like telekinetically slam a guard up against the wall. Connor just like straight up KOs somebody with an electric <laughs> blast. Um, but unfortunately, they open the vault, and oops, not even nearly as enough money as they thought was going to be in there because the vault got cleared out like a few hours <laughs> earlier. Uh, so they panic. What do they do now? You know, the vault the vault got busted into. Um, they're leaving, and they get stopped by a drone, and this is where Connor really has to let loose for, like, the first time, and he just annihilates the drone and the Guardians on the inside. He goes raiding on that. (laughs) Yep. That bastard. (laughs) Oh, man. That's, uh, where's that crossover? I'd watch that. (laughs) Um, and so they get back to the, the, the club that Sutcliffe owns, and... Garrett starts freaking out on him because he's like, there's 50 grand in the vault and you said there was going to be 500 grand. So uh, that's not nearly enough money to pay off the trust. And I didn't catch this on my first watch through, but a guy at the bar nods to another guy who causes a disturbance with one of the exotic dancers of mm-hmm. the bar. And while the, the guards are watching that guy, the dude shapeshifts into uh, a a lady we had seen earlier with a member of the trust who said she'd kill or who she'd cut his throat cut his throat um Sutcliffe and she goes throat. after Sutcliffe and I didn't catch that they was I just saw her the first time I didn't actually see her shapeshift from the guy so that was really cool this time I caught that and I'm like that makes a lot more sense uh so yeah she goes after Sutcliffe but she also tries to shoot Nia yeah and that's where we get the first real sense that Nia is important and not just some one that Sutcliffe's keeping around for his own nefarious purposes. Yeah. Uh, so Sutcliffe, you know, ducks and hides behind his bodyguard, who really cool has bulletproof skin, <laughs> which I don't know why I love that so much, but I thought it was awesome. It was badass because he's not. It's not. It's like once again, it's a grounded. It, it's presented in a grounded form because he's not like fucking chrome or anything like that. You know. Yeah. He, it just. 
He's like the, the bullets, guy who's bulletproof. The bullets <laughs> still go like in him, like like a vet, like a bulletproof vest. Yeah. And he has to like physically pull them out afterwards. But that that was so cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, they they stop the assassin. Um, Garrett's pushing for Sutcliffe to like go after the trust, and Sutcliffe is like, "You're insane." They just kill us all anyway. <laughs> so now they have to figure out a new way to make money here. Um, if you can hear that rattling at the door, that's my cat feverishly <laughs> trying to get in. I'll let her in in a little bit. Um, and at this point, Connor gets picked up by the cops, who are trying to, you know, pin Sutcliffe with the robbery and the chemical robbery as well because they he's the biggest psych dealer in Lincoln City and they want him gone. Connor holds out and they mention that they're going to be destroying a bunch of psych in I think two or three days which is worth like four ten, million dollars. Four, four million just from Sutcliffe that they yeah. stole from him and they're like uh, other dealers too. So Connor hatches the plan of ripping off the psych uh, shipment. <laughs> and again we get another kind of Ocean's Eleven setup, yeah. where we see how they're they're planning to hit the truck, um, and this time though it's not just going to be the three of them; it's going to be a bunch of Sutcliffe yeah. goons with them. And right from that that point, I'm like, oh no, this <laughs> this yeah. isn't going to end well. I mean, yeah, you could tell it's it's going to be bad, but I, um, just I like uh, once again with the pacing, I like that you have a moment to breathe where it's the setup to the heist. Yeah. And I really like that about this film, is that, once again, it's that Ocean's Eleven vibe, and I just, I really appreciate that they give you time to breathe, and it's not just one thing after another, and it just, it keeps the film grounded again, yeah, it's like, just not, once again, with the pacing. It's not just one action set piece to another action set piece, too. It's yada, done yada. very well, yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to just go let her, let her in. I'll yeah. Look. No, we're just going to, we're going to cave to the cat. Because she is our overlord and let her in the room. Um, <laughs> uh, so yes, the heist gets planned. We we see um, Stephen Amel and his crew setting up to divert the truck from its usual route, um, so that they can ambush it in like a closed off area where there won't be police support. And Connor is very adamant that nobody needs to die. They just need to get in, steal the psych get out, get the money, everybody goes home happy, Connor can pay for his mother's cancer treatments. Um, so <laughs> they block off the truck with a dump truck. Stephen Amel is like hitting stuff and like pretending to be this idiotic driver who doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> uh, Connor charges up. You put it very aptly. He charges up like a Dragon Ball Z attack <laughs> for almost too long. That that might have been the one time where I'm like, Jesus, dude, yeah. just do it already. I was like, I was like, how fucking long is it gonna take this yeah. guy to? And so yeah, he does his Dragon Ball Z charge up, and then he blasts the truck, takes out the robot guards. Uh, Maddie shows up, and she starts to. She's a pyrokinetic. She starts to burn her a hole through the truck. They chuck in a smoke grenade. Uh, cops come out. They tie. They get the psych away from them, and they start to walk away. And this is when, kind of like I had a feeling, Sutcliffe's goons just execute brutally the cops right there on the street. And then Maddie gets shot in the back by, uh, I actually, you don't find out till the credits, the the bulletproof skin guy's name is Rhino. And he, he shoots her right in the back. She's done. Um, they try to take out uh, Garrett, Connor, and Freddy, but they make it behind a car. Guardians show up and just mow down. <laughs> the 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 
most of the criminals that suck looks with them. And I really like that. Every time the Guardians show up, it's dangerous. Yeah. Because those things just execute. They, it, there's no missing, no nothing. From the beginning of the film, they, they, they show you that the Guardians, it's a big deal whenever they hit the ground. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, shit's going down. I mean, it's just death and destruction when when they hit the ground. Yeah, they they're robots. They cannot be bargained with. If you if they have the order to kick you out, they're taking you out. Yeah. There's just no two ways about it. Um so they tried to make a Garrett, Freddy and and uh, Connor tried to make a break for it. Freddy eats a bullet in the back as he's run down the alleyway, bleeds out in the car. Garrett and Connor are like trying to figure out what they can possibly do now. Connor rightly blames Garrett for getting too greedy because he wanted uh, to be equal partners with Sutcliffe. Um, and Connor realizes there's only one real way out of this for him without getting a bullet is to turn himself in. So he goes to, I can't, I can't remember his name, Han from Fast and <laughs> Furious. From Fast and Furious. <laughs> and he, he makes him a deal and says, I'll give you Marcus Sutcliffe, I'm assuming for reduced prison sentence. Um, so... Han reluctantly takes the deal, um, and we get, which is, this is where, it's the last big set piece of the movie here, is the, the close-in on the bar, um, of Sutcliffe owns. Cops go in hard with the Guardians, again, those things just blast <laughs> through the, 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 the nameless goons. Yeah. Sutcliffe and Nina, oh shoot, I just realized, hold on, momentary pause here, we forgot to mention Nia's whole thing is she's a healer. She Sutcliffe has, I'm guessing, lung cancer or something from the way he's coughing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and Nia is a healer, so he keeps her around because she keeps him alive. And Connor had wanted her to heal his mom in exchange for pulling off this psych heist. And um, Sutcliffe had ostensibly agreed. I don't think he would have followed through. I'm, I'm he, 99% sure he would have tried to kill them anyway. Yeah, he definitely would not have followed through. And it's like I said... After, you know, uh, Garrett said he wanted to go 50-50, I'm like, oh, he's just going to kill all of them. Yeah. He's going to try to kill all of them. Yeah, I think he he might have tried anyway previous, but once, yeah, once Garrett really wanted to, like, horn in and be part of the big boys, yeah. that was that was the last one. So job. he was totally fine with that deal. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was never going to follow <laughs> through with it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the, sorry, back to the bar. So, yeah, the Sutcliffe, Nina, and Rhino escaped down a tunnel. The Guardians and the cops just blow through the rest of the nameless goons and this is where we get our first like real fight between people with powers because <laughs> connor and garrett ambush sutcliffe and rhino and garrett just caps garrett uh sutcliffe in the gut with like a i think it's a 45 and he unloads the rest of the clip into rhino <laughs> and it hurts definitely he takes a knee for a minute and then he pulls the bullets out and starts whooping on garrett. oh yeah <laughs> um Connor shows up, tries to, like, take him out with his electric powers, but I guess Rhino's skin is probably not as conductive as a regular person, so it doesn't work quite as well. And they're they're brawling around with each other for a minute. I'm pretty sure he even eats, like, a hammer in the back of the head or something at one point. It does Rhino happen, does. yeah. And meanwhile, um, don't forget, all, while all this is happening, Sutcliffe is trying to hold Nia at gunpoint yeah. to get her, you know, get her to heal him. Yeah, that's not, that's not going so well. <laughs> yeah. Um... And then we get one of my favorite movie kills of all time. Uh, Garrett picks up this like metal nail, basically, and just shoves it into Rhino's <laughs> eye. 
And, you know, that really hurts. Yeah. Uh, he's, like, he's freaking out because he just got a nail shoved in his eye. And then Connor shoots this bolt of lightning into the nail that's in his head and, like, blows up his brain. And you just see, like, the back of his skull explodes out and he falls down dead. And it was such an effective moment. Like, it wasn't super gory or, like, gratuitous. Right. But it was so cool. And again, shows you how just devastating these powers yeah. can be. I mean, just how quick it happened. He, you know, he just raises his hand and blasts the rod, and boom. I mean, it. I don't know. It. It was a really cool movie death. Yeah, it was. It was great. And then yeah, Nia has taken the gun away from Sutcliffe, who's just dying on the ground. And then Garrett goes over and like telekinetically like crushes his neck <laughs> and just kills him. And this is where the big moral quandary of the film is here, because Garrett. Uh, Garrett takes the psych and is getting ready to leave and Connor tells Nia all you have to do is heal my mom and I'll let you go that's it I don't you know I'm not going to keep you like Sutcliffe did and she reveals to him at this point though that her healing power is more of like a transference she gets like she had healed a cut on his arm earlier and she pulls up her sleeve and reveals that she has the cut now yeah and she tells him if she heals his mom it'll probably kill her and Garrett hands Sutcliffe's gun to Connor and says, take what you came for, and takes off and leaves. Uh, he Connor does take Nia to the hospital at gunpoint. Huge scumbag move. Yeah, here. I was like, wow, we're really going down this route? And I, I mean, it's, it's, it, was, it was his journey into this film as we watch him become, go from like this, this hardworking, struggling, upstanding guy that his mother had raised him to be to Garrett kind of getting in his ear and telling him, you know what? If we got power, we should use power. We, you know, the strong take what they, they want and the weak yeah. are just there to, to be taken from. And so he takes her to the hospital room. He starts to force her to heal his mom. And then, you know, we get a little montage of his mom and him. And he, he realizes, oh, wow, this is not cool what I'm doing here. So he tells her to stop. His mom wakes up for a second and they say their goodbye and she passes. Um, Garrett gives Nia his truck, tells her he's got she's got a full tank of gas to take her wherever she wants to go, and he goes and turns himself in. Uh, we see Garrett talk to the trust members. He pays them off. He even gives them like interest and says, now that um, the cops are cracking down even harder on Psych, the demand is going to spike, and there's business to be done. They tell him that's interesting, and they'll get back to him. And then the last thing we see in the movie is Nia meeting her father in prison. And earlier it was established that Nia was working for Sutcliffe because um, of the debt her father owed Sutcliffe. Yeah. And it was, like, a weird thing to end on because I just... Super kind of random to me. I just didn't care enough about her character to have, like, that be the last shot of the movie is yeah. her and her dad, who we'd never seen up to this point. So we, like, we didn't have any pre-established <laughs> relationship with him. Um, but... That was it. Was kind of interesting, and I, I couldn't. I was dumbfounded the way they end. Like Connor's <laughs> in jail, Garrett is just out there dealing drugs, still being <laughs> yeah, a bad Garrett's guy. Just still being Garrett. Um, and then I found out that this is getting a sequel series on the the what's it called Quibbly Quibby something platform, where it's like those really minute the ten minute episode kind of deals that eventually wind up being like a whole movie length. Huh. Um. So clearly they wanted to do more with this story. 
Uh, and it's confirmed that both Robbie Amell and Stephen Amell are coming back for this this sequel series. Yeah, and I, th- I think there is more story to tell. Oh, tons more. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, just because even if it wasn't the Amells coming back or whatever, it's just such a fleshed out world, you know? Mm-hmm. There's so there's so much you could do with this universe. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of room to grow. Um, so that's basically the plot of the overall movie. Um, I thought it was very well done. The performances, other than Nia, I thought were great. <laughs> um, just some various random notes I had here. Uh, I got a weird X-Men vibe kind of off this movie. And I mean that in a good way, like because the X-Men's whole deal is they're mutants. Like the newer X-Men films. No, I just mean like the, just the franchise in general, oh. like the comics, whatever. Because yeah. in the X-Men universe, mutants are seen as these these aberrations of nature. People are afraid of them. And they're, they're, they're hunted by... You know, various government agencies, just like in the movie, like the Sentinels and X Men, you know, the Guardians in this movie. Yeah. Um, Garrett's even kind of like a weird pseudo Magneto because he's <laughs> like, we shouldn't be ashamed of, of being powers. We should embrace that. And the world <laughs> should, you know, recognize that we're just as, uh, we have just as many rights as they do. So I, and I mean that in a compliment where I got like an X Men vibe off this Oh, movie. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and I totally get the Magneto. <laughs> yeah, he, it's. Uh, it's Vibe. Oh, <laughs> uh, what else do I got here? Uh, yeah, Van Garrett, Van Garrett, just one of my notes. Garrett, vague Magneto? Question <laughs> mark. Um, yeah. Oh, they also. It's interesting because when they're they give various names to powers like telekinetics or TKs, super strength is brawn. Um, I think they also there. There's also this implication that certain sets of powers are rarer than others because when Nia heals Connor in the bar. He has this look on his face like he can't believe what yeah. he's seeing. He, he even says, like, oh, my God, you're a healer. So I think that's kind of interesting that they imply that some sets of powers are rarer than others. Yeah, I mean, definitely the healing is is a sought-after commodity. I mean, it, it, obviously they're trying to make it pretty clear that it's not a common. Yeah. Because Nia is such a big deal to everyone in this yes. film. Um and it's interesting because in the opening montage, there's this, there's a various bits of dialogue where you can hear people spouting various things, and um, there's this one woman who's saying like you know we're 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 not just uh, powers we we're, you know we're doctors we're yada yada we're this, and it's interesting because like if imagine that if if you go to the doctor which doctor would you rather see the guy who has to take a bunch of X rays and like <laughs> maybe he'll figure out what's wrong with you. Or would you just go to the guy who can literally put his hand on your chest and, oh, you're fine, go away, you're like, <laughs> see you later. Yeah. It's 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 interesting that there's this threat to almost normal people because of what powers can do. Like, there's the finance, um, like, the job market, I guess, would be insane if, yeah, if, like, a doctor could just heal you or if a construction company can literally have a guy build a house with his telekinetic powers and so it's way faster and way cheaper and that kind of like i said is part of the bridge to you know these to me it's like when the immigrants came they were Mm -hmm. a threat to everyone to take their jobs and um you know people felt that way yes um so you know i totally agree with that yeah and i think that's that's pretty much all i've got (laughs) left for my notes because the last thing i have is just in exclamation points lightning rod in brain <laughs> exclamation point one of the greatest movie yeah, kills that was, of all that was fantastic <laughs> uh, but I think overall you can tell we enjoyed this movie um, I'm really looking forward to a sequel in whatever format that winds up taking with the Quibbly arcs or the Quibbly show so I'll, I'll 
be sure to watch that. Hopefully it's free. I don't feel like paying for another streaming service. <laughs> Definitely um, not, yeah. Maybe I'll just wait for it to come out on DVD like I did this and buy it. Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix. We, yeah. We got enough. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> Uh, so that, ladies and gentlemen, is the first episode of Dinner Show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our uh, Facebook page for updates and news. Um, hopefully, I will be getting many more episodes recorded soon so I can get them out to you as quick as possible uh, with a lot of fun guests, a lot of fun movies and shows, and some good restaurants. I just realized now we, we talked about the restaurant very briefly. I'll try to like go into like maybe some more history of the restaurant and what they what kind of food they offer um but i think it went fairly smooth for our first episode <laughs> uh thank you chris for for joining uh well, i'll have to have you back on at some point for another yeah. movie slash show yeah for sure uh and thanks people hope to see you again soon bye